Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Welcome to a little GradCast special. I'm here today with Tyler Turek, who's a PhD in our history program here. Formerly, I guess you could say, or, or at least taking a, a slight leave of absence. But it's great to be here. Thanks, Tristan. And um, Tyler got in the news recently. So, like, what's it called? I think you were in... Well, I'll have you tell your own story. What did you do last week that made me want to do a gradcast? All right, uh, fair enough. So, obviously, there's been some outstanding issues on this campus, and the Sunshine List was released, I think it was the following, the, the Thursday before uh, the April Fool's. And I had been you know, going through some issues, financial, personal, with regards to completing my PhD. And it was actually probably about an hour or two before the news about Chakma's double pay sort of hit social media that I had made the decision that I need to take a leave of absence from my program. And when I saw the news of the double pay and I spoke to some of my fellow students about their concerns, it confirmed for me. It was the nail in the coffin saying, I don't feel comfortable paying tuition to this institution any longer. I don't feel it's being spent very effectively. I don't think that the president's office or the board of governors are very responsive to student or even faculty needs. So these sentiments simmered with me throughout the weekend. And I woke up on the morning of April 1st, probably at about 5.30. You know, when you decide to make a certain life change, maybe you wake up or stay up a little bit late, you can't sleep as well as you normally would. And I said, you know what, considering it's April Fool's, and I know I'm taking a leave of absence, and I just sort of wanted to make a statement, not for myself, but also to show my support for many of my colleagues who didn't feel comfortable making a public statement because they were continuing with their studies, I said, you know, it would be kind of interesting to play a little practical joke and to satirize sort of the issues and, and make it very blatant. I said, you know, maybe I will dress up in shabby clothes and I'll hang out outside his office and have a little cardboard sign saying, we'll work for food. And part of the reasoning behind that was I had known from my contacts at PSAC 610 and SOGS that you know, student food bank usage was on the rise. And in fact, uh, I found out afterwards that they had been you know, running out of, of money. Every year, $10,000 is deposited from the union into their food bank, and they're running out. Uh, so I said, well, let's try to see if we can raise a little bit of money for this, raise a little bit of awareness, and I said, maybe it'll give people a chuckle. Maybe I could talk to some of the you know, office administration and just point out the fact that there are many hungry grad students, that I would say a large, I can't even say a majority, but a good portion of students live below the poverty line. If they're working as TAs or even if they have a second contract, if they're still paying tuition, well, they're probably not making more than, say, ten dollars or $12,000 a year at the most. So I uh, contacted some of my colleagues at the department. I said, listen, guys, I have this crazy plan. It could be really ridiculous or it could be quite successful. All I ask you to do is sort of spread this idea that I will be camped out in front of President Chakma's office to raise awareness and to raise uh, funds and, and donations for the food bank. And, um, well, things spread pretty quickly on, on social media. Yeah, when we talked, uh, we talked uh, I saw you briefly that Wednesday mm -hmm. morning, and you were already on the phone with a radio station, but I've seen it show up in the Gazette, and I heard rumors about the CBC and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> the CBC, I definitely, I'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> but um, it started out, you know, Jonathan Sher over at the London Free Press, he'd written 
and articles about, about this issue for the past few days. So I sent him a quick email saying, hey, I'm going to be camped outside. I'm not sure if this interests you. Drop on by. It might be kind of interesting. It might help support your, your article. And sure enough, I show up after 45 minutes after sending out the email mm -hmm. uh, to my colleagues and posting something on Twitter. I showed up to campus at about 9.15 a.m. And there was two groups of people there. There was the London Free Press. They were here very quickly. And campus police. I thought that was kind of Fine. interesting, yeah. So the fact that, I mean, within 45 minutes of posting something publicly, the campus police were on this. Obviously, Western administration, someone is monitoring social media. I'm not sure how word got out, but it did. And that was the first hint that, like, okay, maybe there's something here beyond, you know, my own personal um, issues. And, and maybe this will be more than just, you know, a satirical April Fool's Day joke. So I sat down, uh, and of course, the blinds in President Shockman's office closed very quickly. He has these steel blinds that sort of uh, prevent anyone, anyone from seeing very into the Darth office. Very Darth Yeah, well, I called it the Iron Curtain, because <laughs> it, it literally was sort of a, you know, a, a metal curtain. And I should just clarify that my office is as close to President Shockman's as it gets on campus. I am literally six feet away from his office door. There are no offices, student or otherwise, any closer. So in a way, it sort of set ourselves up there for uh, an interesting confrontation. But I, I didn't see it as a confrontation. I was trying to speak, of course, very you know, politely to anyone who walked by, offering my opinions and just saying, hey, I'm not trying to represent the entire student body. I don't have that capacity. But I just wanted to make a statement before leaving. And of course, it quickly sort of built into something new, because once the London Free Press reported um, you know, the Western Gazette dropped by pretty quickly soon thereafter. Mm -hmm. uh, soon afterwards, I'm getting calls from local uh, AM radio wanting interviews. And I said, okay, that's interesting. And then I realized that this wasn't just about students and, and administrators or even a campus issue. This had a larger uh, public significance. And of course, uh, NDP MP Peggy Sadler has been arguing about this in Queens Park for some time, and she's been doing a really great job think of raising uh, high-level attention to some of the problems that go on on university campuses and particularly with how senior administrators and presidents are compensated. And as the day progressed, I was getting feedback from persons I hadn't heard of in a, in a long time or strangers that I'd never met before coming to show their support. And that was very encouraging. And so in a way, uh, the idea of my protest changed throughout the day because what started as a joke became something more serious by the end of the day. And that's when I started getting, you know, the CTV wants to speak with me, and they brought a camera guy out here. So at the end of the day, you know, my protest, I said, this will end around noon. 10 to 12, I'll be out there collecting donations. Well, I was there until about 4 o'clock because things kept on rolling. People were still interested in the issue. And I didn't want to make it personal. I didn't want to make it I am upset at the president for his pay, and I didn't blame the president for the fact that I had to take a leave of absence. And I think when you personalize issues such as that, it takes away from what's actually at stake here. Mm -hmm. Because to whomever would drop by and listen to me, I was saying, you know, these are widespread systemic issues, not even in Ontario, but across North America, where what you have are university administration salaries that are ballooning. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, administrations have grown quite substantially over the last 25, 30 years. And these are the persons, the individuals, not responsible for teaching research. But in fact, they're sort of telling us from above 
the research and teaching priorities. At the same time, they've been cutting departmental budgets, they've been cutting services, they've been replacing tenure-track faculty that have retired with contract faculty who lack job security. Mm -hmm. As I said, food bank usage was on the right. And you can point to a number of indicators to say that there are some serious problems here. And I just thought it was quite ridiculous that the president should be compensated double uh, in a way that not even the most senior faculty are compensated for their, you know, when they go on sabbatical. They only get 85% of their pay when they take a year off to go and do research, to write a book, or for professional development. Well, he got 100% of his salary, even though he didn't take any time off, didn't engage any professional development, and of course, no teaching and research. Unless I'm mistaken, I don't know when the last time President Shachma's been in a classroom, but based on his strategic priorities and the way he engages with students and, and faculty at all levels, I would say it's been quite some time since he's had to understand what it's like to be in the university system and sort of be at the very bottom. And uh, just about a year ago, they just told us they didn't have enough money to do post-residency fees. Um, and that's precisely <laughs> it. So myself, for instance, and I can only really speak for myself, uh, I'm paying full tuition as a fifth-year PhD student, despite the fact that I'm also an employee of the university as a teaching assistant. Mm -hmm. And I should mention, the only time in the past five years I've met President Chakma was at an award ceremony for graduate students I received in June 2014, graduate student teaching award for my efforts. And he, of course, these are funded by SOGS, so they come out of graduate student fees. It's not as if the university administration is giving money for these awards. You know, I got a $500 check for which I was very grateful, but that was you know, less than a quarter of the price I had to pay when I was in England doing my research that summer uh, you know, to basically contribute to the university. And the idea of post-residency fees, I, I didn't bring this up in my protest, but of course it, it's very significant to a, a wide number of graduate students. When you think that you are here and you're trying to finish your dissertation, you're trying to get into the workforce to publish your manuscript so you can be a competitive scholar, at the same time, the university is basically taxing you for services you're not using. So, I mean, in the past eight months, I've probably had 10 to 12 meetings with my supervisor. That's great, but does that really account for, say, the $5,500 I've paid in tuition because she wasn't compensated for her meetings with me? That's just sort of rolled into a whole bunch of different budgets and, and you know, all things said and done. I didn't think that the, that money that I had paid in tuition over the past two terms was going effectively either to my education or the education of undergraduate, graduate students, or the development of junior faculty. Mm -hmm. And you, you get to the point where you see all of these numbers being flashed across the screen in terms of you know, the fundraising, the hundreds of millions of dollars that uh, the president has brought in, all of these great strategic plans they have. At the same time, I've been at the ground level teaching now for five years. We have a stellar international relations program at this school. I've invested a lot of time and energy to cultivating these students to help them succeed, and I have gotten great feedback. I mean, they were the ones who nominated me for the Graduate Student Teaching Award. This was student nominated. <laughs> but this IR program has a $0 budget. And I looked for other opportunities where I could take a more commanding role in teaching at the ground level. So I had a number of innovative proposals. Some of them, you know, the, the professors I work with said, hey, these are great ideas, but there's no money. And 
talking to the administration, you know, I went to the Dean of Social Science and met with him about the IR program. Yet, there's just no money for these types of innovative programs. Mm -hmm. So when you broadcast across the Western University website that you're all about the student experience, you're all about research innovation, you're all about teaching, well, I just found there was a disconnect between what the website and you know, the, the recruitment posters were saying and the types of decisions that were actually going on. Because as we know, the decision to give President Shankman double pay, well, that wasn't communicated to any students uh, or representatives uh, in the Senate or otherwise. They're kind of, just kind of expecting it to, uh, to just be like, not mentioned. Like. Precisely. So this lack of transparency, I think, is sort of endemic and very symbolic of the type of leadership we have, not only at Western, but at university campuses across Canada and the United States, where, you know, million or even billion dollar decisions and plans are being worked out with little or no feedback from the persons that it affects the most or that have to bear the brunt of those decisions. So when departmental budgets are cut, when teaching staff is let go but no new hires are given, and when teaching assistants and young faculty on contract are being asked to do more and more to put off their own research in order to compensate for you know, the university's strategic goals, essentially austerity, which is, is the word that's often thrown around, at the same time as those administrators who do the least amount in terms of, of what I call field work, you know, teaching and research, you know, they're lining their pockets with either taxpayer money, the donations that come in, or students' tuition. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess there was a, it was recently, I believe, there's a great map, actually like a map of the United States, and it was what, what the highest paid education job was in each state, and it uh, looks really good if you're a football coach, uh, but uh, we're not going to get into sports yet. Oh, so of course that's, not. That's a whole other, yeah, that's other a whole, barrel, right? Yeah, uh, but I will talk, like there's one thing I guess I wanted to uh, also get out while we're you know, hacking at this idea of the real inequalities going on in the school, and that is... Um, I recently had a friend who's switching into uh, from math to uh, computer science, mm. and he was giving me a nice. Uh, he was mad because his pay was being reduced to double what you and I would make in his yeah. pay. Um, there's definitely like uh, they do definitely have made their statement that this is STEM school, and we're kind of uh, on the periphery of that. Do you think that that maybe this inequality is part of the university's overall focus? Or, I don't know. Uh, it, no, that's it, a good point. Um, with, uh, us and us who, for some reason, chose the arts. <laughs> I think that there is certainly an incentive uh, at the upper levels to keep uh, departments, faculties, and, and I would say student communities. I like that word communities divided. You know, they don't really necessarily want us getting together to talk about these issues. And so, at pretty much at every step of the way, our union and SOMS representatives. I mean, they can only do so much to petition on behalf of students and, and GTAs at the upper level, but basically the more they keep us divided, the more they keep us unequal and sort of arguing amongst one another, the easier it is for them to carry out their proposals. And the more that goes on behind closed doors, the fewer numbers that we know as students, the less agency we have to provide critical feedback, to negotiate for our own pay, our own rights and benefits. And, you know, I... This is just probably one of the, I wouldn't say essentially the chief device they use, but it certainly is probably in their minds that, you know, keeping people divided, students divided, and faculty as well, because 
one of the things I try to emphasize, this isn't a students versus the school. It's not necessarily an us versus them. I mean, uh, Western faculty have voted an overwhelming 94% non-confidence in, in sort of the, the senior administration. And, and I don't doubt that because they too are, we as students can identify more with those who teach because they make only slightly more than your graduate student teaching assistants well. Mm-hmm. And by dividing tenured versus non-tenured faculty, dividing the faculties amongst, you know, making them fight for what budgets they have, mm-hmm. um, this is just one of the strategies they might use to in contract negotiations every few years. Or, and I would say this, uh, to maintain sort of a culture of complicity on this campus. One thing I was struck by when I engaged in this, this very symbolic, non-violent, almost you know, happy form of protest. Like, it, it was... I put smiles on people's faces. It was about as inoffensive as you could get while making a statement. Precisely, yeah. and I even... You were uh, even dressed like a hobo, like I remembered. <laughs> but only briefly, though. After I realized that this, is, this had gone more, I'm like, okay, I don't want to... This isn't the kind of statement I necessarily want to mm-hmm. make. Uh, so, uh, where, where was I going with that? <laughs> the divide, conquer type story. Uh, um, yeah. So, the, the fact that, I mean... We are, in a way, divided. When you, when you expand universities at the rate that Ontario has, you know, and when the focus becomes on recruiting an ever-increasing amount of students rather than cultivating the students you already have, then you're bound to pit student against student, student against faculty, and faculties against faculties. And that can only help you know, those handful of, of peoples and, and, I guess, organizations, offices around campus that do have uh, decision-making power. And I just was very frustrated as a student by my lack of agency, by my lack of voice. And I can guarantee that there are many out there who maybe sympathize with my beliefs. I know this because they would tell me privately, but wouldn't say so publicly. And that goes especially for contract faculty who might be against, or I would say are against, a lot of the different moves that the administration is making, but of course, they're worried about their job security, and rightfully so. I have fellow students who are worried about travel funding, because without that funding, they're not allowed to go and do their research or do those conferences overseas, Mm -hmm. which the university encourages you to do as part of their internationalization strategy. And, excuse me, so there is this idea that, you know, just bury your head in the sand, close your mouth, put your head down and do your work. And for five years I had done that. And I'm not saying that it was, it was all bad or that I haven't received any resources. But what I would say is the assistance and resources I have received have not come from the president's office. They've come from the faculty, the, the individual uh, professors that say, you have a good project, and I see a lot of promise in you, so I'm going to help develop you, and I will give you, for instance, a research contract to help you out this semester. And I've done a number of independent research contracts for faculty on campus. And that's one of the, one of the news comments I read. Um, you know, They say, don't read your news comments once you go viral on social media, and there's good reason for that. But you had you know, persons outside the university saying, well, why doesn't he just go get a job and pull himself up by his bootstraps? I think it was lost, the fact that I did have two paid contracts. Mm-hmm. But despite that fact, uh, I still couldn't pay for my summer tuition starting May 1st. And of course, you know, despite the fact that I'm paying tuition throughout the summer, I have no GTA contract. My wife is also uh, doing her PhD, and she's in French studies. 
And we, we just sat down and said, you know what, there's no way that both of us can finish our dissertations without living in a form of poverty, which I don't think someone who has several advanced degrees, uh, 11 years of post-secondary education, and a wide variety of transferable skills should have to endure. And I, I realized, I looked three, five years down the road, and I thought to myself, this isn't the kind of career I want. I don't think that big research institutions such as Western really want to invest in those types of persons. They, what they want to do is you know, get large donations from alumni, you know, Stephen Pelos, whose face is, of course, on the social science building, and that's what we're supposed to aspire to. We're all supposed to aspire to be millionaires and governors of the Bank of Canada or successful celebrities. And, of course, they're looking at a very, very small, right, the tip of, tip of the pencil in terms of alumni and success. And there was just uh, a tension, I felt, in what I was being told I should aspire to and the kind of tools and assistance I was being given to move towards that end. It was always my dream since I was in second year uh, university at the University of Ottawa. I said, I want to be a history professor because I had some phenomenal teachers and they inspired me to pursue education. And that is what I've dedicated most of my you know, university experience to is developing the skills and, and uh, sort of the knowledge base necessary to succeed in that field. But I was told when I applied for a job in political science that perfectly uh, complemented my, my dissertation. They said, we didn't even get to your application. And, they said, and I asked, why? And they said, well, first we had to look at these Pearsons, and then we had to focus on our own internal candidates. Then we had to look externally, and then perhaps we would have looked uh, at you over at history. And I said, well, how are you supposed to give me the tools I need to become the educator that I've been working towards if I don't have teaching opportunities? As a GTA, sure, I can make uh, you know, a few thousand dollars a year in that capacity. At the same time, my professors leaned on me a lot because I had, in a way, more experience working with this material and working with the students than they did. I didn't feel that that experience was being valued uh, at the upper levels in terms of the faculty and administration levels. And I wasn't the only one. So I just said, you know what, this is not a viable career option anymore. And now I would probably uh, discourage students from beginning a PhD in history. Unless they had, I would do that, unless they had a strong focus on exactly what they wanted to do and they had a concrete plan to finish and they had the financial resources if things you know, took more than four years. Because the average PhD for history can be between six and seven years. It's very rare for someone to complete before that time. Mm -hmm. So unless you're ready to pony up $25,000, and that's just for your fees and tuition, let alone your living expenses, um, I, I would recommend not pursuing a PhD in history. And so what does that say about Western when one of their, I would say, brightest scholars, and not, not to toot my own horn, but I have been recognized internationally. I have done research on three continents. Mm -hmm. I've been to multiple conferences in many countries, uh, graduate student teaching award, and, and internal awards as well from uh, the history, Department of History. What does that say when someone who is supposed to be one of the Mm -hmm. Shining Stars is saying, I wouldn't do this and I'm leaving because I don't feel the university values the type of work I and my peers do. Mm -hmm. So I just feel that there's an opportunity there for you know uh, the president's $440,000 that he has uh, so generously given back to the university. That could hire a lot of sessional professors. It can create new tenure track positions. 
It could do a lot of interesting projects. It could uh, be used to give students, undergraduate and graduate alike, the tools they need to be the kind of leaders Western claims to be creating. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, it's funny that they choose the term uh, pull yourself by your bootstraps because by definition that's supposed to be impossible. Um, so you're, you're heading out and uh, I just kind of want to wrap up with um, there's going to be, there's students out here who've been like, you know, inspired and motivated by the, the work you did last week. So how should we as graduate students, you know, keep this momentum going? Uh, now that, as you said, he kind of, um, Chakma gave the money back and did the whole sorry, not sorry, not letter. But um, that, that could uh, very easily take a lot of wind out of the sails of this thing. And so, like, what, what do you think us graduate students can do to kind of keep the keep fire going? Right. There's many things you can do. I would definitely reach out to your uh, union uh, representatives, SOGS, who is there to represent you. And there are many very capable student leaders on those councils, but that often don't get the kind of um, either recognition or interaction with, their, with students that they deserve. I would say, you know, make yourself, make your presence known at the uh, Senate meeting that's taking place on April 10th. There is a protest that is being planned by our union and songs representatives, so go ahead and support that. And I guess at a more philosophical level, just recognize that you shouldn't be taken for granted. You know, you're investing in the university as much as they're saying they're investing in you. So recognize that it's a reciprocal relationship and that you do have a part to play. So you know, never forget that you have a voice. Sometimes you have to ruffle a few feathers that I had done. But I was quite surprised that you know, one graduate student doing a very inoffensive demonstration in front of the president's office during this, uh, I guess, a tense period in media relations, you know, that led them to shut the blinds and not answer the door. The London Free Press knocked on their door for about 10 minutes without an answer. They were so afraid of one student trying to raise money for the food bank that they had to go into hiding to come up with their sorry, not sorry email and claim that they're going to have this impartial review. Of course, students and faculty were not consulted on this impartial review, and they're bringing in, uh, was it Justice Gooch, to provide some sort of analysis. It's just one lawyer from outside of the university. He hasn't been in university since the 1960s. What does he understand about the problems facing students, uh, I guess, in, in universities in general today? And so just never, never take yourself for granted because if you are in this university, chances are you are a very intelligent person, uh, you have certain ambitions in life that you would like to realize. So don't let senior administrators, essentially millionaires, um, tell you how you should learn when they're the ones who are actually compromising, in a way, your ability to learn. All right. Well, thank you very much, Tyler. You'll be messed around here. Thank you, Tristan. I'll be back at some point in time. That's all for this week. If you want to send us some feedback, or if you want to come on the show yourself, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Be sure to hook us up on social media. On Twitter, we're at gradcastradio, and look up Gradcast Radio also on Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, the podcast is located at gradcast.podbean.com, and it's on iTunes. And while you're there, why don't you leave us a review? It really helps us out. We'll see you guys next week.